Hey, if you got your Bible, Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, that's okay. Just turn towards the back. Look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it will go. Before we dive in, uh, just want to recognize some special folks that we have here today. Uh, So if you are a veteran, I would like for you to be recognized. Uh, I promise I won't ever make you stand up except for today, because if you are brave enough to be a veteran, you are brave enough to stand up in church. So who, who all is veteran? Yeah, my, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, believe that there are, you know, hundreds of places right now in the world where it's not possible to do what we're doing right now, and uh, just really thankful for you all who have helped make that uh, this country uh, free, and we're able to, to come and gather and, and worship God. So thank you very much for your service. But we're in part two of a series called It's All Greek to Me. And uh, if, you're, if you're new to the Bible, the New Testament is primarily written in Greek. That's where we got the title for the series, because we feel like there's some weird stories in the New Testament that are written in Greek, regardless of what they're written in, they're weird. And so we want to know how do these stories fit into the story of the Bible? Again, we think the Bible tells one primary story. It's the redemption of mankind through Jesus. And so we want to know how do these weird stories uh, get us to Jesus, which Mark is an interesting book because it's actually written by a guy named John Mark. And he was essentially a, a scribe or an interpreter for the disciple Peter. And so it's postulated that, that Peter is actually the person responsible for Mark, despite his, you know, his name, uh, which either way, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change this story. If he's the one saying it or if Mark's the one writing it, it's all true. And uh, the reality is that this summary of Jesus, you know, it, it could have been called Mark, it could have been called Peter, but uh, we just know that it's connecting us to Jesus. And uh, also worth pointing out, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels which tell the story of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so uh, if you want to read something, you know, shorter is better. So start with Mark. But uh, let's go. Mark chapter 11. We'll pick it up in verse 12. Reads, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered it and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree, the fig tree you cursed has withered. What? Why is that, why is that in the Bible? God, help us understand your word. We have come to hear from you, speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, change us from the inside out, do what only you can do. Uh, be with us today as we try to figure out how this story impacts our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm curious, have you ever had a craving for food before? If Jesus was craving a fig, have you ever craved something you know, just uh, sitting at home and think to yourself, man, I could really go for some queso right now. You know, some steak and chorizo and scoop it up with a big old tortilla chip. That'd be fantastic. Uh, some, 
salsa, whatever it is. Uh, I like the nifty nut house. I sometimes crave the uh, chocolate dipped peanuts, the double dipped, you know, because they're twice the fun. And uh, they're amazing. And sometimes I go work out at the downtown Y just to go to the nifty nut house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, eat back the calories I just burned. But you can't help yourself. Everything in there is fantastic. And uh, medical professionals are not really sure why cravings happen. They just know cravings do happen. Uh, some argue that it's because we are just chronically dehydrated as a society, that your brain is telling your body, you know, hey, you need water, and your body's like, no, we need some more cookies, you know, so let's just get in on that. Uh, but other folks believe that it's due to a lack of sleep. Uh, it's not so much the water, it's the sleep. And the Mayo Clinic found that if you sleep an hour less than you normally sleep, so if you average seven hours, but for whatever reason, uh, the night before you only get six hours, that next day, if you sleep an hour less, you'll eat 550 calories more than you would have ate. You know, that's a fourth of what you would, 25% of your 2,000 intake just by not sleeping. So, you know, get some rest. Take a nap today, people. But... Uh, cravings will happen if you don't get enough sleep. We also know that hormones cause cravings. Pregnant people, women, I guess that would be people, but <laughs> either way. Uh, pregnant women, they have cravings. Uh, I took a, a little poll this week and just asked some of the, the ladies that were here that are pregnant or were recently pregnant, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you craved while you were pregnant? And I found some interesting ones. Uh, milk, like gallons per day, milk. Just can't, you know, Frank the Tank chugging milk uh, is one. Uh, somewhat chocolate milk, but only if it's mixed with Hershey's syrup. The gal says she sent her husband out like at two in the morning one time, woke him up. Hey, we need some Hershey syrup. We gotta get Hershey syrup because the you know premixed chocolate milk is for savages, and that's just, you got to mix it with Hershey's syrup. Okay, fantastic. Uh, taquitos from Taco John's. Okay, all right. If that's red starbursts. Like 10 to 15 red starbursts, only the red. Yellow and orange, those are disgusting. Okay, you know, those barbarians eat those. Red starbursts, got to have a red starburst. Fantastic. Checks, rice checks, only rice checks. Um, that sounds terrible to me, but what are, you do what you got to do. Uh, and Laura craved pickles when she was pregnant with Leighton. She would buy like the mega huge jar of the whole pickles and just do work. Uh, damaging some pickles uh, while she was pregnant. But my theory on that, you know, if you're going to pump a human being from your body, you just eat whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, don't, I don't, craving or not, just do, do what you got to do. So uh, being overly hungry, that can cause cravings. Um, so you should not let yourself get overly hungry. As many of you know, every January we do 21 days of prayer and fasting here as a church-wide initiative. And my kind of whole process on that is for 10 days I don't eat, just drink water. And then I have kind of a transition day. I'll, I'll do some broth or something like that. And then the last 10 days I do what's, what's called as a Daniel fast. It's, it's kind of like a vegan deal where it's just health, you know, nuts, vegetables, stuff like that. No meat, no dairy. Uh, but that's my kind of process, but you can get rather hungry within that first 10 days when you're not eating. And so I like to, uh, when nobody's at home, uh, watch cooking shows and lust after the food. But, uh, Laura came home one time. It's like, what are you doing? I was like, just looking at this mascarpone. I was like, I have no idea what it is, but it looks fantastic. And so, uh, that's kind of my deal. And you'd get cravings. And, uh, one of these cooking shows that I was, I was watching, they were doing a Cajun boil. 
And I thought, that is incredible. And I just got this, you know, earworm or whatever you call it in my mind. I was like, I've got to have a Cajun boil. As soon as I can eat food again, we're having a Cajun boil. And boom, Cajun boil. What? It was incredible. Corn, crab legs, and crawfish, and sausage. You know, I got people, people that know how to boil. And so we went, we we did some work and damaged some stuff because I had that craving, uh, lusting after some food. But uh, not pictured fried alligator. Y'all had fried alligator before, just a show of hands? Yeah, fantastic. Who's been keeping that from us here in the Midwest? You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to fly that stuff in. It's unbelievable. But here Jesus is craving a fig. It sounds weird to us because we don't really have figs, specifically here in the Midwest. The only time we eat figs is in Fig Newtons. And uh, I remember as a kid growing up, going to Grandma's house in Topeka, and uh, she'd always have Fig Newtons. I've literally never bought a Fig Newton as an adult, but man, those were the best uh, growing up as a kid. And uh, I I brought a picture of a fig because I wanted you to see what a fig actually looked like in case you've never had one. And uh, you can actually eat the entire uh, fruit that you cut off the stem there and uh, you can eat the whole, the whole thing like you'd eat an apple, the seeds, or, or, and everything. Uh, a lot of people like to cut them in half, wrap them in cheese. It's very popular uh, to do with a fig. But figs are, are uh, unbelievably healthy for you. And uh, I actually tried to get some fresh figs here, uh, but they're impossible to find. I called every store in Wichita, and they were all out of season. Even tried to fly some in just so we could have some that I could show you. And they're like, no, you can't do that. It was like $10,000 in shipping or something. I don't know. Flight in from Turkey, I guess, was the only place you could find it. And I don't know. But so no figs. I brought you Fig Newtons, though, so make sure on the way out you grab a whole stack of Fig Newtons. I think there's like 50 cases of Fig Newtons back there. I got a little overzealous on my fig, you know, analogy, but... Uh, uh, research has showed that we should eat more figs. Um, they sh- it shows that, that they l- it lowers high blood pressure. One study showed that figs help prevent breast cancer in postmenopausal women. The fig leaves are thought to have insulin-lowering properties. So if you're diabetic, don't eat the fig newtons, but the fig itself. Uh, and it helps prevent macular degeneration. And so uh, it's not just limited to the fruit. The, in, the entire tree is actually beneficial. And in fact, long before I knew that figs had health benefits, I planted some fig trees at my house. There's a variety called a Chicago Hardy, and it survives cold temperatures. And so you can actually grow them here in the Midwest. And so I was reading about it in the Bible. And I was like, man, I wonder what a fig tree is. And so I went and bought some and planted them at the house and also planted a sycamore tree, by the way. And then Laura told me I had to quit reading the Bible. So... Uh, that was not cheap. Okay, so fig tree or uh, sycamore trees, expensive. Nonetheless, uh, it's worth it's worth seeing what happens because you always read about it in the Bible. But Jesus had a hankering for some figs. There were no figs to be found. This explains the love hate relationship that Jesus had with uh, the figs. You know, loved them when he could have them, hated them when he couldn't, and. Uh, which when you read this story and, or hear it on the surface, this looks really bad for Jesus, doesn't it? You know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, looks for figs out in the wild. He f- uh, finds a tree, sees no fruit, curses the plant, even the root. Uh, I wrote that for you all just this week, you know. This would be got a little hip-hop game that I'm hiding out on. But um, this is another Jesus I remember hearing about. 
loving Jesus, caring Jesus, wants some food, doesn't get any, so he curses the tree, kills it. I mean, this is just super bizarre. Why would Jesus? I mean, he's, he's silent when they uh, falsely accuse him of crimes he does not commit. He doesn't scream out and cry out and, and, and call down angels when they pluck the beard from his face and beat him on his back and put a crown of thorns on his head and, and drive stakes through his hands and his feet, all while he suffocates to death hanging on a cross. But by golly, don't touch the man's figs. You know, I mean, like this is not, this seems super weird. Uh, perhaps this is the first ever recorded Snickers commercial where, where Jesus is hangry and looking like Joe Pesci, you know, like kicking the tree, uh, stupid tree, the figs. Where, it's my best New York accent. I, I don't know. I can't do anything. But uh, the disciples were like, Jesus, eat, you know, eat this Snickers. You not eat you when you're hungry. And uh, when, you, when you read the original Greek manuscript, uh, it's actually argued that uh, the disciples asked Jesus, why so mad, bro? Uh, that's, that's not true. Okay, so that's not in the Greek. But uh, why is Jesus so angry about not getting some figs? The Mark points out it's not even the season for figs. So how is his first response to curse the tree when the fact is that there was no fruit and there probably shouldn't have been because of the season? And the reality is he's not dealing with the fig tree, he's dealing with us. Uh, We'll talk about the fig tree. You need to realize that within the Old Testament and the New Testament, very often your life is compared to a tree. Symbolically, you're described as a vine and uh, you should be a well-watered vine and you read things about how you're supposed to bear fruit and Jesus is a vine and we're the branches and apart from him you can do nothing and so you need to abide in him and uh, you, when you take into account all of Scripture, you realize that this really has nothing to do with the tree. Uh, this story is about us. And in truth, you really don't have to look any further than Mark to understand the, the whole context of the story. Keep in mind, we skipped a few verses. You know, what does is, what is verses 14 and 20 talk about? We start in verse 12. What's verses 1 through 11 have to do with the story? And so I'll summarize it all for you. I've done the hard work for you, so you don't have to uh, get into it too deep. But this is what's commonly referred to as Holy Week. And so on Sunday, Jesus rides his donkey into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. The people are putting down the branches, putting down the cloaks, singing songs, uh, singing Old Testament psalms to Jesus and worshiping him as king and trying to coordinate him as king. And uh, in Mark eleven eleven, it says that after all this happened, Jesus walked around the temple and just looked around. And then it says it was late in the day, and so that he went back with his disciples to Bethany. Bethany is less than a two-mile walk from Jerusalem. This is where his friend Lazarus lived. That Lazarus that he rose from the dead uh, a few weeks prior to this event. Uh, he goes back and kicks it with Lazarus and his disciples, and Mary and Martha are there. They'll or the sisters of Lazarus. They'll become key figures in the story later on. But it got late, and so Jesus, you know, goes back and hangs out with everybody. You know, I don't know what they do back, you know, play some Fortnite, whatever it was. And uh, then woke up on Monday and had to go back to Jerusalem. This is where we kind of pick up in the story. And, you know, Mary and Martha probably gave him a pretty hearty breakfast, but, you know, the biscuits and gravy and, uh, you know, sunny side up eggs, because that's the only way to eat an egg, you know. Uh, they did nothing for Jesus. He, he needed something sweet to kind of finish off the palate, and he sees the fig tree. 
uh, but there is no fruit. Uh, it's important to note that Mark made a point to tell us that the fig tree was in leaf. Uh, you need to realize that fig trees actually produce two crops in a year. Uh, in the wintertime, the tree will lose all of its leaves. And then on the old last year's shoots, it'll grow these little nodules that are about the size of a cranberry or blueberry. And it was very popular for travelers to, to take these little nubs and eat them. They're, they're very uh, sweet. It's a, it's a fantastic kind of uh, early fruit. And so the fact that, that Jesus notices the tree with leaves, it, it should indicate that there should be some of this early fruit on it. And then after the, the tree blooms, it grows the actual fig, the, the hardy plant, the fruit that you would eat later on. And so if you didn't find them, these little nodules, these little nubs, it would indicate that there's something wrong with the tree. You didn't have to be an arborist to know that if you didn't find fruit on a tree, that there's something wrong with the tree. It's disease. There's life on the outside, but it's not actually living on the inside. It's dying as a plant. So keep that in mind, because what Jesus does next is very important. After cursing the fig tree, the part that we skipped, he walks into the temple and he begins uh, cursing it. Uh, you might recall that the first thing Jesus did uh, when he was uh, entering into ministry is he cleansed the temple. Uh, three years prior to this event, he goes into the same temple and he cleanses it. And then three years later, he curses it. Well, what's all that about? You know, is this a continuation of the hanger? Three years ago, the same thing happened. I mean, why is this, uh, do this? Well, this is Passover week. Uh, this is the... Uh, day that the Jews would celebrate rescue out of Egypt. And so you know, roughly a thousand years prior to this, they were slaves and uh, they prayed to God. God heard their prayer and sent Moses. And uh, one of the events around the rescue is that they uh, sacrificed a lamb and they put the blood of the lamb over their door uh, posts. And uh, on the night that they were they were rescued, if there was blood on their doorpost, the angel of death passed over their house. And the other houses, the firstborn son died. You can read about all this in Exodus. But uh, so why is why is you know this important for us? Well, th thousands of Jews would come to celebrate this event. You know, think about that. We have 4th of July. We celebrate, you know, 300 years. They're celebrating an event thousands of years in the making. And they would have to sacrifice an animal in order to celebrate this Passover. And all these Jews were coming in and they'd have to exchange money. They were coming, you know, no different than if you would travel to a different country today. You'd have to exchange your money. Well, these religious leaders would take the opportunity to charge these travelers exorbitant fees in order to make money on their exchange. And then they'd have to make a sacrifice. Well, if you're traveling 100 miles by foot, you're not going to bring a goat with you. And so they would charge them, you know, 4,000% markup in order to buy a goat. And it was like, well, if you want to be blessed by God, then you're going to have to buy our goat. And they would make all of this money. And that did not sit well with Jesus. It's the same thing that charlatans do on TV today. I feel the healing presence coming on. You'll just give $10,000 today, right? I mean, you've seen some of that 
debauchery on TV. And this is the same thing that the leaders were doing back then. So when Jesus starts his ministry, he cleanses the temple by driving out all of these guys from the temple. And three years later, he curses the temple because they're back. Uh, they didn't learn their lesson the first time. And the Bible says that, you know, I'm going to, Jesus records that he's going to tear down this temple. And they're like, what are you talking about? Jesus took 15 years to build this. And he's like, no, 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 this is the, the new temple. God is going to reside in us. And the, the temple of the Holy Spirit is now us. And uh, that's getting ready to happen. And so true to his word, uh, this is why Jesus had to die so that this temple is no longer about sacrifices and all that, and we don't have to worry about any of this uh, from a Christian perspective, that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And so that's what Jesus' Monday looked like. Uh, you thought your Mondays were bad. Uh, Jesus had to go in, drive all these guys out. It says that he prevented anybody else from getting in and uh, to the temple, and then it got late. The janitors were coming in to close up shop and, you know, lock up the temple. And so Jesus and his disciples leave again. They go back to Bethany and uh, kick it with Lazarus and the family and, you know, destroy some fools on Madden or whatever. And then Tuesday morning, he gets up, goes back to Jerusalem, and this is what we pick it up in verse 20, where he, uh, Peter says, Dude, the, the fig tree that you cursed, it's all withered up from the, the ground. So what's all this mean? Why should you care about a withering fig tree? Why did Jesus curse it at all? Well, write this down if you're taking notes. If you have leaves, but no fruit, you're lifeless. If you have leaves, you look good on the outside, but there's no life change happening, you're actually lifeless. See, the reason this story is recorded for us is because it should serve to us as a warning about life. The fig tree is a real-life object lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples, but in a very real way, he's also teaching us. Uh, this fig tree could be representative of your life. You, you might act right on the outside, and uh, you might act like you're doing what you were created to do, but the reality is on the inside, you're, you're lifeless. You're just a shell of the real you. And if you want to, to really dive deep into this and study it for yourself, you should go back into the Old Testament and just look how many times God refers to the, the nation of Israel specifically as a fig tree. I'll share just one with you this morning. Hosea 9.10 records, When I found Israel, this is God speaking, when I found Israel, it was like seeing the early fruit, that's what I was talking to you about, the early fruit on a fig tree. And God describes his people as uh, a fig tree. And again, the point is, if you're a believer in Jesus, when you read the story, you should be thinking to yourself, you should be asking yourself, am I bearing fruit? Is there evidence of the, the, the produce in my life that God has been changing my life? Uh, or, or am I just kind of, you know, going to church because, of, you know, my wife made me or... You know, I learned the right language while I'm here, so I know when I should say amen. I know when to raise my hands during the song, but the fact of the matter is that uh, you haven't actually changed. You know, you might throw a 20 spot in the offering, and what you need to hear me the say, say this morning is that you can be green on the outside, and it doesn't mean you're good on the inside. Hello. Uh, just because you, you have this, you know, green on the outside that it looks like there's life, it doesn't actually mean that there's life on the inside of you. 
And if I can push you a little bit further on this, think about the fact that Jesus is about to walk into a place that's religiously very busy. There's literally hundreds of thousands of people coming to gather into this place to make sacrifices to God. They're being obedient to what God has asked them to do. Historians have written about this because of the sheer number of goats that they would kill. It it was absurd to them, the the numbers that they would sacrifice to their God. And they're uh, really doing what they're supposed to do. And there's lots of noise, there's coming and going, and there's very much a commotion and a very similar to the American church today. A lot of churches are very busy. There's many things to do. There's lots of services to come to. There's lots of events to go to. There's a lot of books that you're supposed to read and, and, and times that you're, you're supposed to say amen. And there's a lot of activity, but that doesn't mean there's any productivity. And God has asked us to produce some things in life, not just be busy and uh, there's, there can be what we read, there can be a lot of holy buildings and not a lot of holy living. And just because you're green on the outside and, and you have some leaves, it doesn't mean that you have life inside of you. And so I want to make sure I'm being clear on this. Uh, admittedly, the church is full of sinners. In fact, I know of no other you know, organization where you have to be a sinner in order to join, uh, aside from the church. Uh, but, but that's good news for us today. So I'm not saying you have to be sin-free in order to bear fruit. What I'm saying is, in order to bear fruit, you have to be born again. Uh, Jesus makes that point clear in John 3, 3, when he says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So the question for us all this morning is, is that me? Am I born Again, have I trusted Jesus as my Savior? And if so, then you need to be analyzing, okay, how has Jesus changed my life? What evidence is there that that God has made a difference because of his son, Jesus? And I want to talk to you about how you can know that you are saved. But first, let me point out something really quickly. We know that fruit satisfies hunger, right? And so if you were uh, abandoned on some sort of island and you got super hungry, uh, you happened to notice a banana tree, regardless of how you felt about bananas, you would eat from the banana tree, right? I guess unless you're allergic to bananas, okay? So that's maybe a bad example. Uh, If you saw a coconut tree, you would eat from the coconut. Nobody likes coconuts, right? I mean, but nobody's allergic to coconuts either. But, you know, a coconut cream pie would be amazing if there weren't those stringy coconut things that you get lodged in your teeth. You know what I'm talking about? Like you chew it and like three hours later, you find another piece and you're like, oh, hey, there there it is again. You know, it's a... The gift that keeps on giving, the, the old coconut cream pie. But uh, regardless of how you feel, I don't know why I went off on that. Regardless of how you feel, you're going to eat fruit if you get hungry enough. And the problem would be is if you're on this desert island and you notice a tree and you come up to it and then there's no fruit. And then you're super mad and you're kicking the tree and uh, you're like, well, what am I going to do? And uh, you have to figure things out. And, and what I want you to understand this morning, spiritually, we're on that island. Spiritually, we're isolated from God. And, and the, the point is, is that only 
through Jesus can you be uh, renewed back to God. That's why Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats from me is never going to be hungry again. Uh, This is what we need. We need Jesus to come into our lives so that we can get back to God. And in response to that, and to the, the response to this free gift of salvation, we're supposed to bear fruit. Furthermore, people are hungry for God. There's a lot of people that God has put into your life that are spiritually on this island and they're needing something and God is saying, hey, what fruit do you have that that you can feed them so that they can get connected to my son Jesus so that they can have new life? Hello. Wow. That went over like a lead balloon. This is what our lives are supposed to be like, bearing good fruit so that people can get connected to Jesus. Amen, somebody. God has given you talents, gifts, abilities, and you're supposed to be producing fruit because of it. And these people need to have their hunger satisfied. And the, the problem with too many Christians in our world today is that they're a lifeless tree. They have leaves, but they have no fruit. They're, they're like the, the fake Christmas tree that my wife puts up at Christmas. It's super convenient, but there's no life. There's no pine cones. There's no pine needles. You know, we, we buy air fresheners to make it smell like a Christmas tree. What kind of sense does that make? Oh, my wife hates cleaning up pine needles. Fine. Okay, whatever. Uh, but this should not be descriptive of our Christian walk with the Lord. You know, there, there's lights, but no life. Uh, There's ornaments, but no improvements. Uh, That's not what we should be doing. So what do we do? Pastor, what what should we we be doing in response to this? If this is what our lives are looking like, a fig tree with no fruit, how do we start producing fruit? Well, we know that Peter is the one speaking here, regardless of if it's Mark uh, who wrote it or not. Uh, We know that Peter is the one who pointed out that the tree has been withered. So let's figure out from Peter what, what fruit looks like. Okay, watch this, 2 Peter 1.3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for godly living. In view of this fact, the fact that God has given you everything you need for godly living, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful, or that could be translated fruitful, you will be. So so what do we do? Well, we, we do everything on this list. Now, I write this down. Frenzy is the enemy of fruit. If Peter teaches us anything here, it's that busyness, it's that an extreme pace of life, it's that frenzy is the enemy of fruit. You know, notice some of the words that he uses. Self-control, patient endurance, a generous provision of moral excellence, you know? You know, you go to the restaurant and you ask for that extra helping of ranch to dip the fries in. That's what your moral excellence should be like. A generous provision, overflowing knowledge, self-control. He says all of these things, it's like producing fruit. 
And what do we know about fruit? It takes time to grow. You plant the seed, you got to wait a few years. And it all, so all of these things take time to grow. But they should be growing. The knowledge, the, the moral excellence, the love for your, your brother and everyone, it's going to take time to produce. But we live in such an immediate reward culture, don't we? I mean, we expect to see fruit right away. And if we go through the drive through and it takes longer than three minutes to get the cheeseburger, we'll leave without paying. You know, it's not worth it. It, it took three minutes. If it, if it takes longer than a second to hop on the cell phone to check the score of the game and we can't stream it while we're driving in our car, you know, I mean, well, we need it. We got to get a new phone. And I'm not going to go vote, you know, Tuesday, you should have voted. If you didn't go vote, people are saying, well, I had to stand in line. I'm not going to go vote if I got to stand in line. I want to vote when I want to vote. Who are you to tell me when, you know, like this is the world that we live in. And you realize that people who have given their lives for the mere fact that you can do any of those things, and you try and describe some of this to our ancestors about how you can have a food in 30 seconds in a microwave, they'd be like, what are you talking about? It took five hours for me to bake some bread and mill it by hand. You know, people in the world right now are walking hundreds of miles to get clean water. And they're having to walk miles to go to school. And we can do all of these things and somehow we're like, well, it's not even, it's not even worth it. What I'm trying to preach to you this morning is that our impatience has impacted and caused our fruit to become infected. Our impatience causing our fruit to be infected. And we're growing this weird fruit where we expect God just to bless us right away, despite the fact that the Bible, of course, is going to take time to produce these things in our life. We're in such a rush to get through life that we're missing out on opportunities to help people. Peter makes it clear that we're supposed to have a brotherly affection with love. And that's what we're doing here. This is brotherly affection. This is what you do in your small groups where you get around other believers. These are our brothers and sisters and we love each other. But what's that supposed to produce? A love for everyone. So your brotherly affection here should produce a love for everyone in the world that you live in. I would encourage you to go read through this Gospel of Mark and make note of how many times Jesus was going somewhere else to speak to somebody else, to do something else, when he was interrupted and then a miracle happened. Make note of how many times in Jesus' ministry he was interrupted and then the response to the interruption was a miracle. It's amazing that God took the time to stop doing what he was was going to do in order to hear this person and care for this person and see this person for who they were, which is a child of God. And then in response to that, love them, care for them, and do a miracle on their behalf. This is what Peter is telling us our lives should look like. And if you can't describe your life as this, as patient endurance, then you're too busy. Your, your life's too frantic. You're not going to be producing any good fruit. If you can't take a look around and, and notice people, listen to me, there's people who need the fruit that you have. Right? Give them the fruit that you have and that you're producing. I'll close with a, another story that Jesus tells about a fig tree. This is in Luke chapter 13. Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. 
He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Does that sound familiar? The three years that Jesus went to the temple to, to now looking for fruit. Is this the same tree? Maybe. Cut it down, he says. Why should it use up the ground? And, and he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can count, cut it down. See, this is the patient endurance that God is speaking about. The grace that he's given you. That, that if you're not producing fruit, he brought you here this morning to, to help encourage you to, to prune off some things in life, to, to get rid of some busyness so that you can start producing fruit. You should be asking yourself in, in your heart right now, where, where do I need uh, to change? What do I need to, to cut? What do I need to say no to? What do I need to say yes to in order to start producing some fruit? Uh, but it should also challenge you in, in, in the fact that, that God says there's a limited amount of time that eventually it's, he's going to say, cut it down. There's no fruit. That should serve as a warning uh, that, that you need to really start getting serious about producing fruit in your life. See, God is the owner of the vineyard. Jesus is this vine dresser. And he's saying, no, let me put some things in your life. Uh, let, me, let me do some things. Let me prune some things. Let me, let me fertilize it. You know, in, in using this analogy, I'm kind of like the manure. Um, you know, somebody said amen to that. That's not nice. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm trying to compel you. I'm trying to, to energize you. I'm trying to get you going to say, no, well, you can do this. God's given you everything you need. It says right here in Second Peter, you have everything you need. He's trying to help you, remind you. That's so why I'm so passionate about you getting involved and serving and getting in groups and stuff like that because I'm just, I feel like part of my job is to give you an opportunity to bear fruit. You know, if you start bearing fruit here, you're going to bear fruit in the world. So that's, that's, that's my job, to compel you, to energize you. And you need to start making decisions about who you can help, not what you're going to get out of it. You know, stop making decisions about your finances. Start making decisions about your fruit. You hear what I'm saying? You know, stop making decisions for, uh, based on your problems. Start making decisions on your purpose. We, love, we live in such a response. We should be living in a, in a way that we're like, no, 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 this is my purpose. I'm going to start living towards purpose. It doesn't matter the problems that I have. I'm not going to respond. I'm going to live for my purpose. God says your purpose in life is to give your fruit away. Shortly before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, you're going to be my ambassadors. You're supposed to look like me and act like me so that people can, can look at you and, and, and meet me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Think to yourself this morning, where is God challenging me? Where is there a lack of fruit? What things do I need to say no to? So I can say the best yes. Where is God trying to cut some things out? What is God trying to introduce so that I can be more fruitful? God, help us right now. Speak to our hearts. We've come to hear from you. It's a challenging message that you've given us this morning. So we're just asking you to encourage us that we have everything we need. 
give us eyes to see the people that are hurting that need our fruit. Help us figure out the, the places in life where we're not bearing fruit. As you continue to reflect on that and pray that in your life, I just believe that every week God's bringing people here to hear this message that, that he wants to help them, that he wants to give them this new life. And so if that's you this morning, if you're here and you've not accepted an opportunity, get, taken the opportunity to accept Jesus as your Savior and, and bear fruit, I want to give you a chance to do that. Just say, God, I believe in new life. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Please forgive me for sin. Not living the way you've asked me to live. Help me live for you. God, I thank you for new life. I thank you for everybody here this morning. Again, encourage us to bear good fruit by the power of Jesus' name. Amen.